Hey everyone, and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my book-loving wife, Liberty, as always. I am always your wife. Yes. Or always loving books. Or both. We're a married couple with different interests, and we try to drag each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. And this is definitely all about them books, and we're pretty sleepy because it was a late night last night and a late evening recording session. Yes. Because of your schedule, we've had to split the recording. So the other one was early in the morning. This is later in the evening. And then after this goes live, we're on vacation for a week. (laughs) Yes. It's been a screwball-y schedule to say the least, but um, we're glad you're here. I'm not even glad I'm here. (laughs) You need to stop the yawning, otherwise I'm going to be a psychopath and not yawn back. Or you're going to have to edit a million yawns out. It'll just be back forth yawns. I would prefer the second one. Yeah. Not a ton of book news, but it will take about the same amount of time as usual to go over it because of what we're discussing. The first is a handwritten manuscript of The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck in its earliest stages has been published for the first time. This seems like big important news, so much so that the cat has jumped out onto your shoulder while we're recording. She is standing on me. This never happens. And now now she's going to try to figure out where to cause heck. Yeah. I was so confused with, like, the dramatic pause. (laughs) And then there were dramatic cat paws. Usually we cut out all the cat stuff, but I think I want to leave that one in. Yeah. On October 7th, independent publisher SP Books released the handwritten manuscript that includes all the swear words that weren't included in the original published novel and shows the urgency in which Steinbeck wrote the novel in under 100 days. Oh, so that means there are going to be no edits, possibly, like... It's going to be crazy, but, like, it takes me three to five business days to write out a grocery list, so I don't know how he wrote all that in 100 days. It was under the gun, clearly. Additionally, the manuscript will reveal how much his first wife, Carol Steinbeck, who was also his proofreader and typist, was involved with the book. Interesting. So his wife did the edits? Yeah. Okay. And proofread. That doesn't sound weird. Could you imagine you proofreading a book I wrote? I can barely imagine you reading books, let alone writing them. I'm a little offended. Just a little bit. We had to start a podcast to get you to read books. So like, mm, (laughs) I don't know. I I think my statement was well-founded. It stands. Yeah. Yeah. And the last bit of book news, and probably what will take the longest to discuss, is that the shortlist for the 2021 National Book Awards has finally come out. I've been talking about this for a while now, and I'm finally going to tell you what books have made the cut for the last round before people actually start winning things. The finals. All I'm saying is you always make fun of me for, like, my awards lists for sports, but Jesus, this is long. It only looks this long because some of these titles are ridiculously long and take more than one line. It's like the short list. You mean the super long book list. Now you know why I didn't discuss the long list. Thank the Lord. We'd have been there for five hours. It would have been worse than watching a freaking Lord of the Rings movie over and over. But I'm glad I can finally go over the five books in each category for this award. The winners of the National Book Awards will be released on November 17th, and the winners will all receive $10,000. It's quite a bit of money. Yeah. Like, on the scale, though, of really the big picture of things, like, based on sales of books, is it really that much money for authors? Well, the funny thing is, 
if they win this award, not only are they getting this money, but like now that sticker can be put on their books. So they're more likely to sell more books because they've won this award. So yes, it's yeah. a good thing. It's going to elevate their sales. Yeah. I think just being on the short list is going to elevate sales for these books. So, I mean, it's always good to be up for an award. I like one of the titles in the fiction group, so I'm excited to get to it. It is not about the Matrix. I'm sorry. That wasn't the one, but the first one. Move on. No, just start reading them, and then we'll know. (laughs) Okay. So for the fiction category, the first author is Anthony Doerr, who wrote Cloud Cuckoo Land. The second is Lauren Groff with Matrix, Laird Hunt with Zori, Robert Jones Jr. with The Prophets. And Jason Mott with Hell of a Book. That's That's the the one. one. And if it doesn't win the category, I am immediately pissed off because it's a hell of a book. How could it not win? If you have to tell people your book is a hell of a book, it's not that good. I'm sorry. I I said it. I would disagree. Feel free. Yeah. If I have a choice to vote, hell of a book's getting all 5,000 of my votes. Why do you get 5,000 votes? Why not? That's not how voting works? I disagree. In the nonfiction category, Hanif Abdurraqib. Abdurraqib. I feel like we should have pre-listened to the names on this just a hair. I went over these when I wrote my notes, and I still am not sure. So I actually tried this time. Okay. With A Little Devil in America, Notes in Praise of Black Performance. Lucas Basir, Running Out in Search of Water on the High Plains. On the high plains. I thought you were going to say the high seas there for a second. Like, I can see the gears turning in your head. You're like, that's not right. Water on the high plains. I just love recording when my head hurts. It's the best. Grace M. Cho with Tastes Like War, a memoir. I don't know that I want that taste ever. You know how gunpowder smells? That's how it tastes. No, I feel like it would taste worse than gunpowder smells. Gunpowder is not a bad smell. I disagree. Okay. Nicole Eustace with Covered with Night, a story of murder and indigenous justice in early America. The last one in that category is Tia Miles with All That She Carried, The Journey of Ashley Sack, A Black Family's Keepsake, a title that never ends. I feel like it's important probably to this story to have that long of a title, but... I don't know what the book is about, so I can't speak to it, but I would imagine that's the only reason you ever write that long of a title. Right. For poetry, Desiree C. Bailey with What Noise Against the Cane, Martin Espada with Floaters, Douglas Kearney with Show, Hoa Nguyen with A Thousand Times You Lose Your Treasure, and Jackie Wing with The Sunflower Cast a Spell to Save Us from the Void. I feel like I should know one of these people, but because I don't follow poetry that much, it's just like people's. I also don't read a lot of poetry, so I would not know them. In translated literature, Eliza Shua Duaspin with Winter in Sokcho. Sokchow. Your guess is as good as mine. That one probably is the right one. Translated by Anissa Abba Higgins. G. Fay with Peach Blossom Paradise. Translated by Kanan Morse. Nona Fernandez with The Twilight Zone. Translated by Natasha Wimmer. Benjamin Labatut with When We Cease to Understand the World. Translated by Adrian Nathan West. And Samara Yazbek with Planet of Clay. Translated by Larry Price. 
And the one category you would think I would know some books in, but don't, is young people's literature. Xing Yin Kor with The Legend of Auntie Po. I feel like I've heard of that one, but I don't know from where. It might have been like on a random booktube video or something. Maybe. Oh, wait, I do know this next one. Melinda Lowe with The Last Night at the Telegraph Club. That made a big splash when that one came out. I was going to say, I've even heard of that one. So, so far, so good. I'm two for two. Kyle Luckoff with Too Bright to See. Kikia Magoon with Revolution in Our Time, The Black Panther Party's Promise to the People. That's a lot of peace. Thank goodness I moved the mic so we don't get all those plurativs from you. The cat didn't like that. Lastly, Amber McBride with Me, Moth. I think my problem with awards like these is it's always so much about having a message, being really heavy, and like being, quote, literature versus the types of books that I really find enjoyment in and I get a lot out of, which are usually young adult books or anything in the science fiction, fantasy, some mystery realms. So like... I don't love awards unless they're genre-specific awards. But this is like one of the major ones, so that's why I wanted to talk about it. For the tag this week, I have the I should have read that book tag. Which is weird for me because some of these questions don't pertain to much of my reading styles actively, thanks to the podcast. So it's been interesting to answer some of these. Yeah. The first question is, what's a book that a friend is always telling you to read? So my answer to this is I don't have many friends that read a lot of things, so I think that has something to do with it. But I've read a few of the books that have been recommended to me, so, like, I don't feel so bad about it. Like, the main one that I hear from a lot of people after I read Harry Potter was, you should read The Hunger Games. That's why we read The Hunger Games. Yes. Yes. I said that I am the most bookworm-ish of all my friends, so there aren't a lot of things that get recommended to me that I haven't already read. But a friend has recommended Winter's Orbit, and that one is on my physical TBR. I just haven't gotten to it. It's a science fiction. I figured as much with the word orbit in it. The next question is, what's a book that has been on your TBR forever and you still haven't picked it up yet? So I think the longest book I've had on my TBR is Foundry Side because I haven't really like... That's That's not even that long. It's not. And and the reason being is I I don't have a TBR list per se. Whereas I have spreadsheets on spreadsheets on spreadsheets. Yeah. So that would make sense. I, however, have somewhat recently done a TBR clean out. Like I had that project earlier this year and I completely like finished it already. So I don't have that many that have been on my TBR for, you know, over six to nine months or something like that. But the book that's probably been on my physical TBR the longest at this point is The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandra de Moss. And I will be starting that like the first day of January. So it's not even going to have a full year on my TBR before I get to it. So that's not so bad, I guess, in that instance. Yeah. What's a book series that you've started but haven't gotten around to finishing yet? Again, because of the podcast, I feel like I just read straight through all of them. Right. So... Technically, I have open series because, like, the next book hasn't come out yet. So I've got The Inheritance Games that I'm excited to finish eventually. I've got Skyward I'm excited to finish eventually. Stuff like that. The Murderbot Diaries, especially excited about those. But 
one that I've started and really want to keep going with and just I haven't caught up to where they are is the Lumberjanes comics. I think it's exactly my sense of humor and I like the art style. I think it's pretty easy to read and not get muddled by what's happening. If I keep having doctor's appointments, though, I'm going to catch up real fast. Because that's usually my reward is going to a bookstore. It's kind of been your reward for like as long as we've kind of been together. Like if you have to go to a doctor's office, hey, we're going to a bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a good system to have with someone who has anxiety. And all sorts of health issues. Yeah. The next question is, what's a classic you've always liked the sound of but never read? So because I've seen, and this kind of doubles for one of the questions, but I'm not using it for it, but The Great Gatsby. I've, mm-hmm. I've never read the book, but I've seen the movie, and I liked the movie, so I figure maybe the book will be good. I think for The Great Gatsby, there was a lot being said and hinted at and like a bunch of symbolism and stuff that I was just, in high school, I was like, this seems like a really dumb story. But like, I've enjoyed it more over the years because I've read it in college as well. But at the same time, it's sort of like, Gatsby is an idiot and like maybe that's the whole point like the point of the great Gatsby isn't for people to like fall in love with the idea of America in the 1920s like it's about being disillusioned with the jazz age as like a whole and so that kind of makes sense that the book as a whole seems pretty stupid to me I guess that makes sense but also I don't like classics so like that's part of my problem yeah, I looked at a lot of them, and, and the list, for the most part, is stuff that I've read. So, like, it was, like, Huck Finn and Catch-22, 1984, Fahrenheit 451. Like, I've read all those. So, mm-hmm. like, Gatsby was one of about, like, two that I haven't read, and the other one was The Count of Monte Cristo, which I have not read, but also pretty classic. That's actually my answer to this question, because... Yeah. I don't have a desire to read classics. Like, that's just not what I like to read. Yeah. And so this is one that's on my 40 books before 40 list. So we bought a beautiful copy that I'm going to read starting next year. But, like, I think the reason I want to read this, besides the fact that it's a giant classic and I can rub it in people's face that I've read it, is that it's a revenge story. And, like, who doesn't love a revenge story? Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. So, like, I was between that and Gatsby, and, like, Gatsby I knew more about, so my brain yeah. was like, that's an easy pick. Like, a classic I'd like to read. Well, plus, The Count of Monte Cristo is, like, a thousand pages long, translated, so. Be a minute before I was done with that. Yeah. Well, and, like, the way I plan on tackling that one, because I do have such a hard time with classics, is to read at least 50 pages of that per day. Yeah. And then just keep going with whatever I plan on reading for the month. And, you know, I'll finish it when I finish it sort of thing instead of trying to read it all at once and that being my only book. And sometimes I can read more than one book at once. Sometimes I can't. I'm hoping I'm able to pull it off with that because it'll be so different from what I normally read that I won't mix the two storylines together. What is a popular book that everyone but you has read? I put most books. I saw that. Because <laughs> you're not is... wrong that there's a lot out there that you haven't read that people have loved, but at the same time, <laughs> most books are garbage, in my opinion. Yeah, the the reality of it is, I am newer to the book world, mm-hmm. and I'm sure 
if we ever do get the ground up off on a YouTube channel, you'll be very sure to remind me of that when we try to talk about things on it. Right, right. I think just everyone has such a different style of writing that they love and different genres that they like and tropes that they like. And so, like, seeing most books for, like, good books doesn't necessarily work. It was more of a reference to the fact that I'm sure there's a lot of books that are out there that people really like that I have not read. Right. was more of the reference. It wasn't that, like, 99.9% of the books are going to be good books. For me, I said it's not that everyone has read this particular book and loved it. It's more like it seems like it keeps popping up everywhere because it's one of those books that has so much poured into it from the publishers that you just see it everywhere. Even if people are only hauling it or talking about it coming out, something like that, still you're seeing it everywhere even if they're not reading it. And so this one's caught my eye because... I think the cover is stunning, but also it kind of sounds good. It's The Taking of Jake Livingston, which is a mystery slash thriller novel that I might pick up before the end of spooky season, but I really don't think I'm going to get to it. There's too much on my plate. That makes sense. What is a book that has an adaptation that you love, but you haven't read the original source yet? So I made a joke earlier about The Lord of the Rings. I have not read the books, but the one that I actually put down was the Jack Ryan like series plotline from Tom Clancy. Uh, it started with Patriot Games way back in 1987. So I would have, I think, roughly about like eight to ten books to read to complete all of them. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, it could be worse. Yeah. Apparently there is a Nora Roberts series that she's writing under a pen name that has almost 60 books in that series. There's just no reason for that. Money is the reason for that. At that point, are you an author? Like, I feel like you're just kind of pouring out your books. She is kind of just like, take my books, give me your money. Which I feel like all authors are like that at least a little bit. So Otherwise, she's they don't like make money. The evil author character, like, take my books. Ha 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 ha. Sure. Okay. I said that I watched and really enjoyed the first season of the Umbrella Academy, but I'm sort of on the fence about reading the comics because I've heard that the show does a better job with everyone's backstories and like getting you to love the children from the Umbrella Academy. So. I feel like I don't want to read the comics, but at the same time, I seem to be getting into comics this year. Like, in between January and now, I seem to have, like, found a groove in finding comics that I at least enjoy while I'm reading. If I don't want to continue, I don't. But, like, The Lumberjanes and Giant Days, I've really, really enjoyed those comics. So, I feel like I might like it. I just think it's going to run into that problem where... There's not enough time for me to have enough history with all of them. I don't think you'll ever, with comics, get all the background history that you want just because there's been so many iterations of every superhero. Well, and, like, that's part of the reason I'm not going into the superhero side of comics right now because, like, I need to know what's canon, what's not canon. What do you mean there's 14 types of canon for Batman? Like, geez. That's what I was going to tell you. Canon is not... It's more wibbly-wombly, timey-wimey. And I think that's what really bothers me about people who are like, it's not accurate to the comic books. I'm like, which ones? Which ones right. are you trying to compare it to? Because right. 
personal interpretation has existed in Batman, Superman, all the Marvel comics. Like, it's just... Any of the DC comics. Everything. Everything. So I think that's why I will never be someone who is into superhero comics. Unless I find an iteration of one superhero and just go with that. I feel like that's what I would have to do. Because I need a solid canon foundation. Otherwise, I don't enjoy it. And I need a good amount of their history, at least enough to get me hooked in the first one. Otherwise, I'm just like, no, thank you. Because I don't care. I wouldn't recommend you reading Spawn, then. Okay. Don't think that would be a good fit. That was never on my spreadsheets. I figured it wasn't. So, we're good. And the last question is, what's a book you see all over Instagram but have not picked up? So I had to go to Instagram because I'm really not on it that often. Like I'll post pictures for the account every now and again, but that's really about the extent of my deep dive into Instagram. That's not exactly what social media platforms want, but... I realize that, and I I try to be more relevant with it, but a lot of the times when I come home from work, it's food, sleep. Those are my options. It's steps, usually speaking, or food, TV shows, sleep, because there's something that you and I are watching. Yeah. But the one that I've seen probably the most of the few times I've gone deep diving into the Bookstagram world would probably be like anything from the Scythe trilogy. I feel like that's something I've seen a lot of. You've also seen it on my shelves. Well, yeah, but that's not the point. I'm, I'm referencing the I'm, question. I'm just saying like we could do that next if you want it. We could if that's what you want to do. It is another chunky series though. I don't know if that's what you want to read next. I feel like most of the series you've brought me into have some kind of chunky version at some point in the, the number of books. At least I'm not trying to make you read the Throne of Glass series. At some point, I'm sure you will. No, I won't. No. I know you won't like it. Okay. It's got way too much romance and a couple sex scenes in there, and I don't think you're going to want to read that. You Cooties. Obviously, I don't care about that, but... Yes. I picked... Jade City by Fonda Lee for my answer for this one. It is so popular on the bookstagram and I have it. It's on my 40 books to read before 40 list, but it's like I want to get through certain series first or I want to wait to start this new series because all the books are like bricks and I think there's at least three, maybe four in the series. So it's like I'm going to wait until I finish some things before I jump into that. That makes a lot of sense, though. Like, the last thing you want to dive into is, like, just a bunch of chunky boys. Yeah. Well, and, like, I have Leviathan Wakes by, what is his name? James S.A. Corey sitting on my TBR shelf as well. Also part of the same project, but I think there's, like, ten books in that series or something. And they are all chunky boys as well. So it's, like... Those two are probably going to be best friends on my TBR shelf for a few months, if not a year, before I finally get around to them. As big as they are, I kind of understand that perspective on it. Like, the last thing you want to do is bury yourself in giant chunky books. Yes. But for what I've been reading for the week, my weird one-week slump just went out the window. I just love how last week's episode, you're like, I can get away with just reading two books. Then it was like 18 books. It was five. (laughs) That's still three more than you had planned. True. One of them was something that I randomly found on NetGalley, asked for it, got it, and read it in like a 24-hour period. So like, 
We'll get to that one. I already kind of can tell which one that probably is, but I'm intrigued, I guess, to an extent. We'll see. The first thing I read was also a NetGalley arc. It was Chasing Fireflies by Chloe Fowler, and it comes out at the end of this month. It is a YA contemporary romance novel. I ended up rating it 2.5 stars because these characters were so beaten down anytime anything good started to happen that it's like, I just can't take watching this anymore and being invested. So, like, you do what you're going to do. I'll read it. But, like, I'm just not going to care anymore because I know nothing good is going to happen to them. (laughs) And I felt that way from, like, page 100. And it's, like, a standard size YA contemporary novel, like, 350 or something like that. And it's, like, how do I trudge on through all this and give it anything higher than a three. I don't think it's possible. And it wasn't. So the synopsis for this one is that Rainey has heard the phrase, everything happens for a reason a thousand times. But when it comes to her sister Maverick, who was born with a serious heart defect, the reason has always been a mystery. On the first day of senior year, Rainey winds up sitting next to Liam Hayes, who is the bad boy at school. Both begin to lean on each other for the different issues facing them, And this is a rich, good girl from the right side of the tracks falling in love with the poor, bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks. And it was just page after page of these characters getting a beating. And it's like, sometimes literally. But it was just too much. Yeah. I also had a problem with this romance because, like, they became friends, and I liked that. Then they started to talk about how much they liked each other. Okay, that was fine. They went on one date, and then there was this major conflict that happened, and then all of a sudden she's running off to tell him that she loves him. And I'm like, you went on one date, not even a full date, because an emergency happened at, like, the end of your date. So you had, like, Three quarters of a date and suddenly decided you were in love with him. And I'm sorry, no. Right. I think you literally pulled me aside and had a conversation. Like, uh, you didn't directly ask me, like, what date with me was the one that, like, made you feel like you loved me. And I was like, it wasn't the first one. I can tell you that right now. Well, what I do wrong on the first date then? (laughs) Nothing. But it was just, (laughs) like, it's insta-love like that does not exist as far as my beliefs in the world. So... And, like, there was some time between when they started having romantic feelings for themselves and when they had their first date because of this whole, like, she's on the right side of the tracks, he's on the wrong side of the tracks. It took a while to make the date happen. But, like, still, it's one date. Yeah. And then there was the third act sort of, like, twist or whatever had to do with her sister's health and... A situation that arose because she was dating the guy from the wrong side of the tracks. And it was just like, this would make an okay Lifetime movie or something. I would watch it, waste two hours of my life. But that's better than how many hours of my life I spent reading this book. Oh, that's rough. But I mean, at the same time, the characters were still likable enough that I couldn't rate this lower than a 2.5. Because like all the characters felt solid and like grounded in reality and they had all their character flaws but they were still human beings and not just the problems they had but like that's the only really really good thing I can say about this book gotcha and then the book that I saw on NetGalley requested got approved for read and reviewed in 24 hours was 
A Quick and Easy Guide to Asexuality by Molly Muldoon and Will Hernandez. The book comes out in March of next year, but it's a nonfiction graphic novel explaining asexuality. And as an asexual person, how could I not read that as soon as I saw it and got Uh, it? I guess it makes a little bit of sense. Though I did end up reading this four stars just for like my enjoyment, not necessarily saying anything is wrong with it as a nonfiction graphic novel about asexuality. It was just a lot of the points that they made about the different, like, what it actually is, debunking all the rumors and myths about asexuality and all of that was stuff that as someone who has known their sexuality since they were like 20 something and now I'm a 32 year old woman, like I've seen, read, heard all of these things. I already know all these things, but that's coming from my experience discovering asexuality and being on the internet. And so I think this is really good for people who are questioning their sexuality or anyone who has a loved one who is asexual and they may not be able to wrap their minds around it or they don't know what it means. And it's just a good, clear guide for them. It was definitely a learning curve for me when you told me that because, like, I was still very much not understanding any of those things. Right, right. I'm pretty sure we were already married when I told you that I heard about this thing and it explained so much. And, like, that's me that I'm seeing on the internet. And so I'm pretty sure that was a weird experience for you because, like, we were married had been for a little bit and all of a sudden your wife was saying I'm not sexually attracted to people and you were like what it's not it's not even that black and white though necessarily like it well and like it goes in there's all sorts of shades of gray in between that just like well and that's what this graphic novel does really well is going it's a spectrum yeah and everyone in the asexual community is like under an umbrella and you have to sort of deep dive into what all these different things mean And it does a good job of explaining asexuality and explaining people who are what we call gray ace, who experience sexual attraction under certain conditions, but not all the time. And it just, it deep dives into everything that as someone who is asexual and has known about it for like five years, I already know all this, but like, I wish I could have had this to hand to you. Like, I could have read it, handed it to you, and been like, this is me, read it, please. So I think it'll be good for that. But for me, since I have read and seen these things on the internet already, it was not quite a five-star for me. Right. I then read A Lesson in Vengeance by Victoria Lee, which is a new release from August of this year. It is a YA mystery novel. Some people have categorized it as thriller or even horror and I'm like it's not heart pounding enough to be those things in my opinion I think it's just a mystery I ended up rating it three stars it's a dark academia novel following Felicity whose girlfriend died at Dalloway school a year ago since then Felicity's been in a mental facility but now she's returned to finish her senior year The Dalloway School is used to death since Godwin Dormitory is rumored to be haunted by the spirits of five Dalloway students who some say were witches. 
The Dalloway Five all died mysteriously, one after another, right on Godwin grounds. Yeah, it definitely sounds more like a mystery-style book. Death does come back to the school in this time period. So, like, I think that's why some people want to call it, like, a thriller or horror. But at the same time, I was never particularly concerned with the main character's, like, health and well-being. So, like, I don't think it falls into, like, a thriller. Yeah, if people aren't, like, under threat of anything, like, I don't know that that I would consider that a thriller. I would say the main character does have a threat looming, but I think it's written in such a way that I was never worried for her. I've heard people say that this is all style and not substance. Gotcha. And I completely agree with that because you definitely get, like, the dark academia feels on this one, but at the same time, like, I I never felt like there was much there. There was no there there. There was no there there there. Yes. Got it. But a book that did creep me out, I also read last week, and it was Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. It's a 2014 release and book number one in the Southern Reaches trilogy. It's an adult science fiction novel that I rated 3.5 stars. I don't know what this could have done to get a higher rating for me. I feel like, given the premise and the length of the novel, it would have been hard for it to get rated higher than a 3.5. There are more books in this series, and I'm not sure if I'm going to continue with this one or not. But I think the reason I enjoyed it is that it's that area that I've discovered that I enjoy, which is like a crossover between science fiction and horror, because there is serious horror vibes in this novel, or novella, actually. It's so short. The synopsis for this one is that Area X has been cut off from the rest of the world for decades. Nature has reclaimed the last vestiges of human civilization. The first expedition returned with reports of a pristine landscape. The second ended in mass suicide. The third in a hail of gunfire. The members of the 11th expedition returned as shadows of their former selves and within weeks all had died of cancer. In this book, we follow the 12th expedition. I'm sorry, if I watched 11 expeditions die before me? Well, I feel like you have to be a certain type of person to go in there and be like, no one really knows anything, but we need to figure out what's going on here, what happened. And I feel like some people would be like, yeah, let's do it. And like, you do discover that some people on the expedition are at that point where like, it's this or, you know, nothing else. They don't really have anything to like, try to be safe and protected for, no kids, no family, that sort of thing. I guess there's no risk necessarily for that per se, other than your like personal loss. Right, right. Like no one's going to miss me if I die on this expedition, that sort of thing. And then I also completed In the Study with the Wrench by Diana Peterfriend. This is a 2020 release and book number two in the Clue Mystery series. I know you like that one. And it was a reread for me. Yep. And this is a YA mystery series. For this book, I originally rated it 3.75 stars. And I think that's solid. Like, I wouldn't change that rating now. Because, like, it's really good and I really enjoy it. But I also see the flaws in this one. Which stem from the fact that, like, there's a lot going on here. That, you know, it just sort of becomes outrageous at a certain point. Because it's just too much. But at the same time, it's like... This is really good. Keep it coming because I'm having so much fun, you know? 
The synopsis for this one is that following the murder of Blackbrook Academy's headmaster, Mr. Body, the school is thrown into complete disarray. Half the student body hasn't bothered to return to school, and when another staff member is found dead and an anonymous threat begins to target what the rest of the school is calling the murder crew, each of the teen's secrets start coming to light. Sounds interesting. I always think it's weird when, like, Mr. Body is a different character in some of these iterations of Clue. Well, I mean, they don't have a butler, so they made him a headmaster in the first one. Makes sense. But... I like it, secret passages and like a boarding school, isolated. I feel like that's a bunch of keywords that get me to read books. Definitely, that's for sure. Yes. As for what I plan on reading next, I really only have two things that I'm like dead set on reading before we come back from vacation. But I also have a short list of books that I'll try to get to while we're on vacation, but like, I know me. I don't read that much on vacation. It's true. You always bring something and you're like, I read like 40 pages. And I'm like, well, good job. I mean, it's better than not reading. It's true. Which is probably what I will end up doing. Either that or maybe I'll bring like uh, one of the comics with me or something. Yeah. But the first one I actually started this morning and it's You Can Go Your Own Way by Eric Smith. This is a NetGalley arc. And the book comes out on November 2nd. It's a YA contemporary romance novel and this one seems to be enemies to lovers but I'm hoping it's more like I don't like you unless hate to love. Gotcha. In this one Adam Stillwater is determined to protect a pinball arcade that is the only piece of his dad that he has left. Whitney Mitchell is spending her senior year running social media for her dad's chain of successful gaming cafes. But when a huge snowstorm hits, Adam and Whitney suddenly find themselves trapped inside the arcade. And then I assume kissing at some point. Ew, kissing. I know you don't like it in books. I don't mind it in books. Like, it's just not my favorite choice. Yeah. And then I'll go right back into the whole mystery thing I was feeling last week, apparently. And I'll read Pride and Premeditation by Terza Price. It's a new release from April of this year, and it's a YA mystery romance historical novel question mark, because Goodreads was kind of all over the place with this one. Goodreads calls it a pride and prejudice with reimagined settings, characters, and romances in a whodunit novel. Oh man. So definitely mystery. In this one, 17-year-old aspiring lawyer Lizzie Bennett seizes the opportunity to prove herself when a scandalous murder shocks high society. Convinced that the authorities have imprisoned the wrong person, Lizzie vows to solve the murder on her own. Sounds like a good series. Yeah. I'm wondering how Darcy fits into the picture, but I'll find out when I read it. Yeah, it should be good. And then I'm hoping to read at least one of these books, possibly. While we're gone, the first option is All of Us Villains by Amanda Foodie and Christine Lynn Herman. Sort of in the same vein with like mysteries and thrillers, that sort of thing that I've been into this month. The Beautiful by Renee Audier, which would be a reread for me, which it's Vampires in New Orleans. And rereading Order of the Phoenix. So hopefully I can start and finish one of those as well. Both sound like good options. Yeah. Got a lot on your plate still though, but you know. I think I'm very much in a mystery mood, so I feel like I wouldn't be picking up the Harry Potter while we're gone. Yeah, probably not. Plus, it's really long, so. Yeah. 
but you've been reading the middle section of Skyward by Brandon Sanderson. And I may have read one page beyond just because things were happening and I wanted to make sure that they actually happened. I feel like you're not supposed to do that. I'm not sorry. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you're enjoying Skyward. It seems like you're having a lot of fun reading it. Well, it really helped that the other night during like one of the major like battle scenes, I stumbled upon the soundtrack for the new James Bond movie. And it's just those tracks are so well orchestrated with an orchestra, full like everything. And so it was just it fit your battle scenes. Oh, so well. There were a couple of times where like it was playing like darker music and like somebody was dying and I'm like, oh no. So like it just <laughs> It hit the emotions a little stronger than I thought it would. Yeah. Like, it made it feel more like a movie that I was reading, so it made it just fly by, because, like, things are happening, and, like, when they did that whole pyre towards the very end of all of it, like, it was literally, like, just slow, sad, like, somebody just died music, and I'm like, you nailed it on the head soundtrack. You nailed it too much on the head. But that's getting ahead of ourselves, obviously. Because we are starting back at the part where Morning Tide and Bim have just died. Boy, death and death. <laughs> to start and end this section. Yes. That's great. Yeah. Pilot school, man. Gotta love it. My only question is, were they red shirts? I feel like they had to have been. Well, they're in flight suits, not I know. shirts. It was a Star Trek reference. Oh, I get the reference. It's just, I don't know, it felt misplaced. <laughs> I don't know. They are dying like red shirts, yes. That was my point. Yeah. And she shows up late for the first time the day after that had happened. Yeah. And everyone is sort of wanting Cop to say something in class, and he's like, I got nothing for you. Yeah, he kind of approaches it as a the fittest will survive this type of moment situation where it's just kind of like, thing that happened, you better get over it. He basically says that you guys are just bullets and a gun. And, like, it is what it is. That is the way the commander treats all these little tiny humans. Yeah. And also, Spencer discovers when she goes to put on her helmet that there's something poking her in the head. Yeah. And so she looks and finds out that the admiral is having them monitor her during all of her training and all of her flights and stuff like that. And she's like, I don't know what they're even trying to measure me for. Right. And Cobb was just like, is it too hard to fly with it on? And she's like, nope. He's like, then we don't need to worry about it. Yeah, it's clearly another method to trying to get her to quit flight school, obviously. So... You'll, in this section, you see a lot of that where it's like, what buttons can we push today? Right, right. But I think one of the big things that goes on in this section that, like, really was exciting for me was just the fact that you have all the M-Bot, like, getting closer and closer to being completed situations. More and more work getting done. Yeah. And we also see this sort of, like, bonding between M-Bot and Spencer because due to her being late they've decided to give her a personal radio so she can maintain contact with the actual, like, pilot school and where she is at all times. And so there are times when he sort of just breaks in. Yeah, flashes a little light on the walkie on her. To communicate with her. Yeah. And we get a lot more communication between the two of them and more bonding, which I really enjoyed. Right. You love your snarky, sarcastic AI. I do. Yeah. 
No one's shocked. I would say they love me too, but it's probably not in their programming. Quite a possibility that would be the case. Though there is also sort of a heavier moment because Spencer starts pushing Cobb about what happened with her dad. He's like, I can get you an official copy of like the reports and everything, but like... What's in the reports isn't accurate. He definitely hints at that. And so like she's questioning, why would you want us to believe that he fled and not whatever actually happened? And he never really answers that question. Kind of does, because he admits that he's the one that shot down her dad. Like, with a nod, not like a verbal answer, but still. It kind of comes out that, like, there's some corruption going on, whether, you know, she understands it all at all, which is right. not the case. She understands, like, this much of it. You know, She has little. no clue about the big picture at yeah. all. And we do have some moments where Rig is noting Imbot's design and, like, yeah, you've got deep space missiony stuff, but also you have like four destructors. Yeah, like you're not. You're just, clearly a fighter of some sort. You're not just like doing the thing. You're not just out and about exploring, trying to stay stealthy. Like you have the capabilities of fighting back if you have to, and then some. And of course, we see more training. They train with the IMPs, which is a lot of fun. I think. To everybody else that hasn't read the book for explanation, they're just EMPs, basically. They're just used to take down the shield of the opponents in order to shoot them with the destructors or other weapons. Yeah, make them easier targets, basically. And you definitely, during all this training and all the flights that they go on, you see bonding between the flight class as well, which I really enjoyed. Even some bonding with the flight leader Jerkface like yes. starts to occur a little bit as well. But he's still Jerkface. Yeah, well, yeah, no argument there. And then was this the moment where Jerkface told everyone about Spencer, or did that happen in the first third? That happened in the first third because Bim was mad at her as well. Oh, okay. Well, not like mad, but like confused because he started having feelings for mm-hmm. Spencer and then was like, oh, you're that, that person? person. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to say that's Spencer, but he didn't know that her name was Spencer. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. But they do get into a fight. Yes. And now she's worried that he's going to tell on her and get her kicked out of flight school. But over the next few chapters, she sort of realizes that that wouldn't get the Admiral what she wanted, even if Jerkface did do that. Because yeah. what she wants is to prove that Spencer's a coward. And a quitter. And she can't do that if she gets her kicked out. And that completely, like, changes the narrative about what's going on here. Yeah, you definitely see Spencer get a little more ballsy, I guess is the right term, more or less, with what she knows she can get away with. Like, to the point where she's just yes-manning her, basically, or yes-sirring, because, you know. They say sir, because of the position, not gender-specific. But, like, that, I enjoyed that scene thoroughly well when she was in uh, Admiral Ironside's office yeah yeah it was very enjoyable to say the least and then i believe we have that fight with the krell during a debris fall with the giant piece that has all the acclivity rings on it yeah and they're joining another group to fight the krell on this one and it's a lot of krell because they want to keep the humans from getting the acclivity rings which help keep their planes in the air The big problem happening in this one is the fact that Ned's family ends up being in the other flight and they're in danger. So Ned breaks formation and Spencer follows. 
and they end up going through the different like caverns. I, I was gonna say hallway, and that felt wrong. Yeah, they're definitely more like cavernous. Is yeah. the way I felt it was described, albeit it's leftovers of like an old ship. So like. It's sort of a hallway, but it's not. Yeah. And it's been damaged over time, and, like, that's why it's coming down in a debris fall, so it's not quite a hallway. But they're following after Krell, who are following after the fighters that Ned's family is in. Yeah. And so they're fighting the Krell. The Krell are trying to fight the other flight, and it ends up... A really dangerous situation because it's still falling as they're flying through it. You have to be a really good pilot to get out of that, I feel like, because that's insane. Well, they had M-Bot's help to get out as well to spend some light lances friggin' uh, Ned because otherwise he's going to just end up dying and they're just like everybody else. And so they end up coming out of that alive thanks to Spencer and M-Bot. No thanks to Ned. Barely at that. But Jerkface doesn't think that this was Ned's doing. He thinks Spencer is at fault, and she's like, nope. Right. And after that, Ned doesn't return to flight school anymore. I believe he washed out, right? He ended up uh, quitting. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense. Well, he said, I believe, that his family had lost too many already because both of his brothers died in that fight. Which makes a lot of sense. And then I think they have their sleepover that night or it's one of next week. I was going to say, it's like one of the nights close by that because like she's just exhausted and... Everyone's sort of beaten down and worn out and like dispirited. A, I was to say mentally defeated, I feel like is not a bad choice of words either. Yeah. A couple girls pretend to be sick so that they can have food brought up to their room so that Spencer can eat with them. They end up making a pallet on the floor for Spencer. They all hang out together and stay up way too late and do girly things. Girls night. That's when she really starts like building a relationship with FM, who was like somebody that like she kind of struggled building a friendship with. Right, because their flight is down to way fewer people at this point, and I feel like she's got more of a chance to get to know everyone. Yeah. As well, too, they're starting to get to know her because of that, like, girls' night. So FM is willing to, like, open up a little bit instead of just being that, like, shut-in, basically, that she was before. Right. And then that's sort of how she gets caught eventually and has that big meeting with the Admiral and realizes, like, what her MO actually is. Yeah. That's our uh, infamous yes, sir moment. Yes. We also see that... There's a conversation between Rig and Spencer where he's like, so do you think FM might like me? Because I think she's cute. I think that was the saddest part for me as to like when things happen to FM where I'm just like, hmm. Yeah. I was like, poor Rig. And there's another conversation with Imbot where he's like, it's not in my directives for me to engage in any battles. You can't use me, blah, 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 blah. Is this the point where she takes him on a little flight? Not a very good one, but he's working enough in order to go on a small, short, low-to-the-ground flight. Uh, yes, but she also takes him up, like, really high in elevation as well because, like, he can't go forward that fast. Yeah. But he can go up and down M-Bot very quickly. Because of his acclivity ring? Yes. Yeah. And then there's, I think, one or two chapters where they're doing Life Buster training. Which sounds big and bad and scary because it's called Life Buster. 
They die a lot. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot. And she ends up talking to Imbot about their training, and he's talking about historic battles and how they're sort of recorded and kept all the past battles. And that's when she's like, wait a second. I could go see what happened with my dad. Yeah, she's going to have to find the file, which probably isn't going to be the easiest thing for somebody that's just a cadet to get access to. But who knows? So she basically just turns around and runs back to the DDF because she was talking to Embot as she was walking back to her cave. And now she's like, nope, going back. But that's when another fight is broken out. And we lose a lot of people in this one. Like, not from the flight itself, but from, like, just in general, the pilots. The DDF, yeah. yeah. I was going to be like, how many did we lose? I believe just FM in that one, but you also, in turn, lose Kimmelin from the group as well. Right, but she doesn't die. She, she just steps down. steps down because she thinks it's her fault. Kind of is, but also kind of not. I don't think you would ever say that to her face. Oh, no. Well, you're in a flight group. You shouldn't say that to anybody in your flight group. The reality is, though, like... I don't think anyone would ever say that to Kimmelin's face. No, but, again, the reality of it is is there were multiple mistakes that were made, and so her inability to escape the attack was definitely a pretty large part of why everybody was in the pickle they were in, but... Right, right. And it actually wasn't FM who died. It was Hurl. Oh, you know, you're you're right. It was, yeah. She was also concerned about coming across as a coward, and that was something she bonded with Spencer over. And so whenever she was going down, she didn't eject like Cobb had told her to. She went down with her plane. You're right. I'm mixing up the two of them. Yeah. And then after the fight, everyone gets checked over by medical because Cobb sort of forces that upon them. But then everybody still shows up to the actual classes yes anyways and Cobb's like all right back to it (laughs) like no you should still give them the time away Cobb if you're smart well first he goes off about what did I say I told you to eject you effing eject yeah he has every right to be upset because it's like if she had just listened she'd be alive and he would have one more person in his class still so it's like it's like you gotta look out for yourself not just the ship and that's something that i feel like as a whole with the ddf is lost right right well they care more about the ship than they do the pilots because you can get a half decent pilot to just hover and it's fine but you can't just replace the acclivity rings you yeah. can't just build a new ship and that whole conversation between spencer and cobb in the middle of the flight instruction was just sort of like I know what they tell you. I know what society thinks, but this is what you need to actually effing do. Right. And that's when they get the time off for sort of like bereavement. Right. And she decides instead to walk out to where she believes Hurl crash landed in order to give her a proper burial. Well, she has to do that because Cobb outright tells her that it's going to probably be like days and or weeks before they go back out there because they're all trying to get the acclivity rings out of the wreckage. The planes that are in better shape get salvaged first. And right. since she went down with hers and died. And it and exploded. It it's kind not of worth just it. fell apart. Right. There's no point. Yeah. So. So she's walking out there and then all of a sudden Jerkface comes along and kind of like one of those mur, mur, did you want to ride moments. Right, right. Yeah. And they really bond, I think, to a point that you haven't seen the two of them bond yet. Right. On the way out there. They basically have a pyre of her in her plane. Yeah. 
and they watch it until the flames all die out. And that's pretty much where we end. Yep. We won't talk about the one page I read because kind of spoils things. But I think you'll also really enjoy the last third of it. I didn't realize how much actually happens in the middle third. It's a lot. Yeah. And I think that's why it was so easy to read. It just kind of powered right through. Well, and you had your own soundtrack, so that helps. At least for the last couple chapters anyways. Yeah. But if you can't hear it, it's dumping down rain outside right now. The cat has fled, and I'm about to, too. Okay. But thank you guys so much for listening. We will be gone next week, but make sure you stay in contact with us on all our social media. In the meantime, we'll update on all the happenings while we are gone on vacation. There'll definitely be pictures and things coming out from our adventures in the places we're going. I almost spoiled it. Oh, my goodness. I think we've kind of already spoiled it on the other episode this week. Well, if you didn't listen to it, we didn't spoil it for you this time. Hopefully you did listen to it, though. (laughs) Yes. But all of our social media will be linked in the show notes. And we'll catch you whenever we're back for a sports episode. Bye, guys. Bye.